Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Maxine McFarlane, a Jamaican educator living in the United States of America, and I'm a nurturer of minds and hearts. It's time to finish up the conversation about code switching in this second part of my discussion with two special guests. Bradley J. Hutchinson is a first-year master's student at Southern Adventist University. He recently completed his bachelor's in family system psychology and is now pursuing a degree in clinical mental health counseling. Malik L. McFarlane is a third-year undergraduate student at Wake Forest University. He's majoring in chemistry with a concentration in medicinal chemistry and drug discovery. If you listened to part one, you would have heard that it was really a conversation with my nephew and my son. Their insights on the topic sent me to explore it even further. In this episode, we pick up the conversation where we contextualize code switching to living in the United States. It was also a learning opportunity for me as they talked about African-American vernacular English and the socio-cultural impacts on minority groups whose lives involve perpetual code switching. We also explore the social structures that have been established by the majority. I encourage you to listen with an open mind and hold space for reflection on your own or others' experiences. Part two of the conversation continues on the other side of this. Passionate teaching is what we do. The joy of learning brings the light too. For parents and teachers everywhere. Let's show our children how much we care. Rich experience I bring to you. Have you joined to share your passion too? Let's bring it closer into the context of living in the United States. It's one thing to have a dialect like what I was describing and code switching between our standard Jamaican English and our dialect. But what about Ebonics? I know that in the wider society, it's something that's generally frowned upon. But there has been some argument in more recent times that we should have a, a more open mind and develop a wider perspective to think that this is something that's very cultural and how can we respect the culture of people who speak this way? Any thoughts on that? I can go first. I think the use of Ebonics or I believe some people, if it's a synonym, is like AAVE, African-American Vernacular English, is I think the term that's also being used right around now. I think what has helped this conversation of making it like a more we should respect the culture type of thing is that Black culture has become popular now. It, even though it's always been that way, it's significantly more popular now thanks to social media where Black different forms of art or different forms of speech have become vernacular for the an entire generation. Specifically, my generation is Gen Z. It's become like 
a lot of the black phrases have just become normal for anybody to say and I think that's helped it to become like we should probably respect this because this is a uh, like a cultural thing and it's now a generational thing but secondly I think that standard is still is still so strong and still there which is why like you're not taught AAVE when you go to school you're taught regular English and you're taught the grammar of English and not the grammar of AAV or Ebonics. Because one is definitely seen as one is more professional, one that's more acceptable, one that if you used in a professional setting, you wouldn't get like side eyes as if this person is unintelligent. You see more intelligent when you use one versus the other. And it's definitely gonna take time, I think. But I do think it's a lot closer than it seems. Yeah, we're in this weird time period where, like Malik was saying, it's popular for not only Black culture, but I think minority culture as a whole to be very cherished and put on a pedestal. But you also run the risk of gatekeeping when you want to make sure that you're protecting your culture, protecting the things for your group and saying that, hey, you know, it's not okay for you to say certain things like this because within our group, it's supposed to represent the sentiment that we have and you're kind of tarnishing it or running it through the mud when you say it a certain way or when you don't really understand the impact and the meaning behind it. Um, I think we have a long way to go before we can truly respect the, the lingual aspect of Ebonics and AAVE, as Malik was saying. But I think it's a huge step with at least people being more familiar with it. So it may not necessarily be as jarring for somebody to hear that in society now, whereas previously you could have been you know, kicked out of a group or seen as just unintelligent for saying something. My mind goes back to grad school when a teacher friend from South Africa and I were studying together. So my colleague was talking about having to be educated in Afrikaans. And as I, I can quote her on this, she said, that's the language of the oppressor. And, and that's, that's true. That's the language of the oppressor for her. And yet that's a language that she had to be educated in. So it carries a weight that is heavy, but, and it's, it's, it's not a positive experience. Now, when I think about us in the Caribbean growing up, we knew that we were being taught in the language, not the language that our foreparents brought over from whichever African countries they came from, or even the dialect that evolved out of that and many other languages. But to me, it didn't seem oppressive. The, thing, the way in our society that we were taught, we were encouraged to learn English and speak in English because we could, it would give us the opportunity to be a better communicator on the global scene. Because if we weren't anywhere in the world and we just started talking in our dialect, it would be a barrier. So we, we, were, we were looking at it as a way to open more doors, a way to be a more effective communicator. Now, the beauty about my experience of using both code switching in Jamaica is even though we were taught in English and we were encouraged to use it and to communicate and to write and all of that, it was still a good experience to latch on to the cultural piece of what the dialect brought. And that that is something that I still enjoy today. The, my, my children will tell you, I still play Louise Bennett at home. I still listen 
to things that are written in the dialect. I read, I have books and all of that. But when I think about Ebonics, I think it doesn't have that same feeling here. It's almost like it's looked down upon. And I'm not saying that Patwa hasn't gone through that too, where people growing up, they will tell you to speak properly. Because if you're talking Patwa, you're not speaking properly. So I, I think I'm learning more about the African-American or Black culture and how the Ebonics plays into that. And I'm really becoming more appreciative of it from a cultural perspective. I really don't understand everything or too much about it because I have never lived in a community where I hear a lot of it. Some of it I only hear in the media or if I look up something on YouTube that talks about Ebonics or code switching, then I'll get some more information about that. But it really is eye-opening. And it's, it's overall, anybody who takes the time to appreciate and learn from another culture, it's an asset. I was listening to one of your episodes, Bradley, on your podcast when you were talking with a friend and he was sharing that experience. And I, I just saw how whoever that person was, I think he was in a grocery store and he was asking him, um, what kind of Chinese are you? And your friend was what, Filipino? Yes, he was Filipino. Right. And that person just lost the opportunity to, to learn something because when the young man said to him, do you mean what kind of Asian am I? He still went back to his ignorant expression of what kind of Chinese are you? So I think this is a good opportunity for us to even pause and learn more. I am myself, I'm open. Malik, you just taught me something new because I never heard that acronym before. So now I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, I think um, going to the last thing you were just mentioning about uh, AAVE, the only reason I knew about that is because um, Cami, who you have interviewed on this podcast already, her major deals with languages, like uh, communication, signs and disorders. And part of that was the debate in the language, in the linguistics community about is African-American vernacular English its own language? Um, just because of the fact that the grammar is a, is a little bit different, is different than the grammar of traditional English. Some words are very different. They're used in different contexts and things like that. So it, it, in the linguistic side of it, it's being debated as if it's its own different language. But also culturally, like you were saying, it has its own significance as well, like Patwa has its own significance because it comes from the mixture of the languages that were coming through Jamaica at the time. And it was used as a tactic to bring, like to keep the slaves as to have their own communication away so that the, the slave, uh, the enslavers had like to keep them from understanding what was going on. African or AVE has a similar background to it, but in, Jamaica, it seems from my perspective that there is not as much of a uh, dismissal of it once the uh, once you once the slaves had emancipation in comparison to the United States. Also, in Jamaica, blacks are the majority of the population, so it, they were just more. There, but in the United States, that has never been the case. So it's. Um, it's a little bit different in that way. So we've talked quite a bit about 
code switching and how it impacts our own experiences. But I want us to wrap up now by just looking at possible advantages and disadvantages of code switching. Let's talk some more about that. I'll go first. Um, I, I think mainly because of my experience when it's come to code switching, I tend to see more disadvantages than advantages with it, especially because it certainly feels like at times I'm hiding a part of my identity just to appease a group of people that may or may not have an issue with my identity or the way that I speak. Um, and that's probably the most infuriating part about it is the ambiguity of it. Like the, the feeling that I need to change because of a group may or may not be okay with the way that I speak or the way that I act. But I do definitely see the advantage in a uh, professional setting. And I've seen that happen already, especially when as an RA, I'm dealing with different crises and uh, different residents may be in different emotional and physical states. And if I were consciously just, if I were unconsciously just acting how I normally act, I can see how some people might see me as either stuck up or very aggressive. So having the ability to adapt to certain situations is pretty helpful, but in a situation where it's not a crisis, having to code switch is pretty annoying. And I do see that sometimes as a disadvantage. I can definitely relate to that, Malik. Um, during my time, as an, I was an RA at my university. I definitely was portrayed by a lot of people to be that stuck up guy or the one who was, you know, going to get me in trouble and things like that. But a lot of it is just making sure that I'm coming forth as the authority in any situation. Like for example, in a fire drill, even though people may know me and they're like, oh, it's just Bradley. I wanna make sure that I'm the person who they know is saying, hey, we need to evacuate the building. So I'm going to code switch to instill that sense of authority, to instill that sense of professionalism and leadership so that we can accomplish this common goal, but not to necessarily be the person who's gonna ruin the party or cause things to just you know, have a different tonal shift. Um, outside of that, though, I think a great advantage to code switching is being able to be a more effective communicator. Although it does seem like you're sacrificing a part of yourself, you're definitely able to gain more access to different groups of people and different opinions on how they may view your own culture personally. There's been a lot of times where I've code switched and I've gotten feedback like, you know, I never knew this about African-Americans or Caribbean people or Jamaicans. Can you explain this to me? because they'll know my culture, but they won't know that I'm representative of that by how I'm presenting myself. So I can say, hey, this is the insight that I have. So it does give me some teaching opportunities as well. Um, another advantage I would say is it just allows you to be more flexible. I think Malika touched on that as well. You're able to adapt to different situations and be very open to people. So you're not seen as one note or one type of person. So my final question to you is, how do you think your upbringing and your socialization, your schooling, all of that together has impacted your experiences with code switching? Do you think those things had any bearing on it? I think for me, going to predominantly white schools for most of my life, the code switching has been a lot more of an appeasement. And I think it's happened a lot more often to where I think it has become that like inadvertent, unintentional type 
situation because it's not like I really have to think about it anymore. I've been doing it unconsciously for the most part ever since I was probably eight. Um, Because I don't think first or second grade, I really had an idea of it. But it wasn't up until maybe I got to like third, fourth, fifth grade um, where I had to do it. Even when I went back to Jamaica, there was a good amount of code switching when I went back fourth and fifth grade because I didn't have an accent anymore. So I had to adapt. And You had an accent. You just had an American accent. Not okay, but even when you say American accent, I grew up in the South and I don't sound like a Southerner. And that's that's the most interesting part, I think, is that if somebody, um, I've had this before, where people can't pinpoint where I'm from just based off of my voice. Because if I say I'm Jamaican, there's like no hint of that. If I say I grew up in the South, there's not that many words that I say besides the word y'all where you can notice it. So the code switching has definitely shifted my tonality, I think, but it's also, I guess the adaptability has just become so ingrained at this point because I've gone to predominantly white institutions ever since I was maybe like nine, when I've been in the U.S. at least, and I've just constantly had to adapt like that. So that's probably my takeaway from it. My upbringing as being in situations where I've had to constantly code switch just makes it that much prevalent, more prevalent for me and that much ingrained where I don't really notice it anymore. Before you respond, Brad, so do you think, how does that impact you on the emotional level though? Do you, does it bring a feeling of comfort that you have the flexibility to do it? Or is it like a heavy weight that you carry that you have to do it? I don't think it's a weight, it's more of a nuisance when it's not in the crisis situations, like I mentioned. Because it's like, I, I'm i not in a situation where the ball is really in my court to make the decision of like, I'm going to code switch. It's just a ingrained part of who I am now. And I'm not always, if I'm conscious of it, then I'm annoyed with it when it's not a situation where I need to be. I wish you had um, strong memories of your time in Jamaica like going to school there and if you felt the pressure to code switch there because I know your brother did because he came home from kindergarten saying, mommy, I don't sound like my classmates and he worked very hard. My five-year-old worked so hard then to sound Jamaican because he just realized that, wait a minute, I, I really don't sound like my classmates. So even in childhood, you still can can feel it. All right, Brad, over to you. It's funny you mentioned that story because for me, my childhood was totally different. I have a few vague memories here and there of my Jamaican experiences, but I remember distinctively when I came to America, I was ahead of the class because I had spent time educating myself outside of school and, you know, making sure I was just presenting myself as, you know, this kid who wasn't going to be behind when he came to this new schooling system. But when I'd open my mouth and speak, people were like, what? what are you saying? He sounds so weird. He sounds so different. And I was bullied for that. Like, oh, he's the dumb kid. He can't speak properly. But whenever I would succeed, they're like, oh man, <laughs> we don't like him even more now because he's, you know, the teacher's favorite because he's so smart and things. So I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. So at that point in my life, I felt very sad. I mean, I didn't know it was code switching at that point, but I did feel very sad because of it. I remember going to my mom, like, you know, mom, how come I don't sound like them? And I would just spend so much time watching American programming and 
practicing voices of different characters and stuff to kind of sound more authentic. But now, like looking back at all my experiences, I think my upbringing has kind of done the opposite of Malik. Whereas I have lived in multiple different locations. I've lived in the North for a few years. I've been in the South for a long time now and I do have the y'all, but I don't have the Southern accent. But even in things like middle school, it wasn't necessarily just one note black. We had a lot of different people in that community. So I would definitely know how to interact with different people there. And then my church was predominantly Jamaican. So I would get that experience there. And then in high school, it was an international program. So I was speaking to people who are Vietnamese, people who are Spanish, people who are white, people who are from all over in the same community, but from all over representing themselves here in the school while learning French and Spanish. So it was just an entirely different setting for me. So now coming to my current university where it is still predominantly white, but we still have a good mix of other cultures here. I think Hispanics are the second largest or the largest minority population on campus. It's just more of a challenge for me. I see it as something exciting because I'm like, how can I best communicate with this group where I may have a semblance of their culture? I may understand things from here and there. How can I fit in and how can I make sure I'm gonna be as effective as possible in conveying myself to them and presenting myself as this person? So I don't necessarily see it anymore as a detriment. I see it as a challenge and something that I wanna to rise to the occasion to. Now I'm gonna ask you to share your final thoughts with two things in mind. What message would you give to your peers who are in similar situations like you? You're not only the peers who are minorities like yourself, who feel the need to code switch a lot, but on the other side, those who can't relate to, those who have the choice in not having to code switch. What would you tell peers on both sides? Let that be your closing thoughts. I would say to the peers who struggle to deal with code switching and find themselves encountering that dilemma often, I think you need to find your reasoning for it. It is something that you unfortunately do have to deal with, but like myself, I think you can find reasons to make it interesting, find better ways to engage it. <clears throat> so it's not necessarily something that you look down upon. It's something that you can say, I can use this more efficiently. I can use it to benefit myself or any of the other things that the list had, you know, presented to itself in an article that you wrote. Um, it reminds me again of the story that you had told us about you being on the train with your family member and them like, wanting to engage with impactful, so they just said something just to seem comfortable. And in those situations, I find myself enjoying code switching most because I'm like, ah, I can be so versatile. I can be able to, you know, be myself, but while figuring out ways to convey my personality in a different style. And for people who aren't necessarily code switching or people who aren't in that group specifically, I don't think it should be as something that you're shut out from or something that you're not able to engage in. But I do think that since people are more than often forced to code switch, you need to find a different aspect of the culture or a different way to engage the individual. And that's gonna require a lot of self-education on your part in order to properly, <clears throat> in order to properly deal with them to properly get an understanding of the things that they're saying. Maybe it will be to the point where they don't have to code switch because now you can engage them for who they are not necessarily the environment that you set for yourself. I guess um, I'm going to focus mine to the the peers who don't have to, um, since Bradley talked about, talk to those who do. The main thing that I would request to them is that you're aware that a lot of us who do have to code switch, it's not a voluntary choice. 
when we're around those who aren't like us and recognize that it may take time for people to open up. For me, I've had years of doing this, so this isn't really something that I feel uncomfortable with, but I know a lot of my friends who are going to predominantly white institutions for the first time, their freshman year was very difficult because they felt like they didn't get, they couldn't be comfortable around anybody. So that would be my main thing. Just give time to those who don't look like you to feel comfortable around you um, enough to show their, what makes them them and uh, be willing to learn the culture as to why they why they say what they say and what makes them uh unique in that sense that would be my main request i truly appreciate your insight both of insights both of you because you've shared some things that i never thought about being educated in predominantly in jamaica and not being in institutions similar to yours when i did study here for a short time it really is eye-opening. I like the advice that you're sharing to those who are not in the group of the, mid, the major code switchers. Overall, I think we should all just educate ourselves and that will help us in the long run. For example, I know we're putting a lot of weight on those who are outside of the community, but sometimes making general assumptions defeats the purpose of trying to understand another culture. For example, people may just think, oh, you're from Haiti and you're from Jamaica. So you're pretty much the same. And so they, they, they may look at the group and think that, okay, I can just lump everybody together and make these generalizations and fall into these stereotypes. But I think on both sides, we should just be open to understanding and learning. In fairness to the other side too, I also have to say that this is all they've known. If they've grown up in a culture where they've never interacted with other people, it's, un it's almost unfair for us to expect them to know these things. And so this is just a, an age where information is so accessible. So we all can do better. And when we know better, we should really do better. I really appreciate your time, gentlemen. I know it took us a while to get here, but it was worth it. It was a pleasure to have you both on the Teachers Tribe podcast. And you never know, in the future, we may have something else that we can talk about together again. Thank you for having us. It's definitely been a great experience. Thank you for having us. Code switching is practiced in many communities around the world where two languages are widely used. This is the kind of code switching that I enjoy and admire. In one of her entertaining presentations, the late Rita Pearson shared an example of how formal and casual registers are used, and it highlights another level of code switching. It's entitled, Guess What Happened to Jack? I'll put a link to it in the show notes. While she was advocating for students to be encouraged to use the formal register in schools, it is an example of how prevalent code switching is in some communities. As I said before, I admire people who are able to flawlessly code switch within their cultural experiences and who light up with within the varying situations. I am equally concerned about the impact of code switching 
when it has to be done because individuals feel pressured to fit in or in a bid to be taken seriously. It is unfortunate that many people carry associated burdens daily as they try to integrate themselves into their work culture, school environment, or society in general. I believe that living in this manner might affect one's emotional and mental health over time. And it is Moanagolu's quote aptly captures both sides of the coin and reflects my thoughts quite well. Moanagolu said, and I quote, Code switching requires a high level of intelligence. It proves an individual is fluid in multiple grammar, speech, and language forms. The reason why it is a necessary skill for some people of color, however, is disheartening. End of quote. Bradley and Malik left me with quite a bit to consider, and I will continue to explore this subject as it relates to minorities in this country, and more specifically within my work environment, including the students and families that I serve. I would love to hear about your thoughts and experiences with code switching. Do you have to do it as a matter of survival? Did you even realize that you do it? Do you see it as a tool that facilitates interaction with more people and can therefore be seen as an advantage? Does showing up in a manner that is not a reflection of who you authentically are cause you to erode your identity? Let's talk about it on my Instagram or Facebook posts for this episode. We have barely scratched the surface of this code switching conversation and I continue to learn more about its many layers. I encourage you to practice what Vernon Howard said. Quote, Always walk through life as if you have something new to learn, and you will. End of quote. Until the next episode, walk good and one love. For the joy of learning, subscribe to the teacher's strike.